This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Let us worship the Lord our God.
I will give thanks to you forever. Holy God, in whom we live and move and have our being, we know that we are restless until we find our rest in you. In this hour, open our hearts to praise you and thank you for your generous mercies to us. Gracious source of our being, we praise you and thank you for even the breath of life given to us. Fill our hearts with your presence that our mouths may proclaim your praise. You may be seated. Grace to you and peace and welcome to the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, whether gathered here in this sanctuary or worshiping in other locations. We are glad and grateful to gather in the praise of the Lord. And because we have gathered in the name of Jesus Christ, our word of welcome is one with no qualifying adjectives whatsoever attached to it. All are welcome in Christ's house and all are welcome here. I hope you'll join us for a time of fellowship at the conclusion of this service in Old Buttonwood Hall, which is just out this door to my right and down a very short ramp. You will find there that our deacons have prepared some light refreshments and most importantly, the opportunity for us to speak with one another and engage with one another. I'd like to ask as well that everyone, members and guests alike, kindly sign the friendship tab, which you'll find on your pew. And please sign it, even if you're the only person on your pew, because that's our means of contact tracing in the event that we need to inform you about anything. So we ask you to do that. Send it down the pew again and back again if there's someone on your pew. That way we'll be able to greet one another by name. I'd like to highlight on the back of your uh, bulletin a couple of announcements for our common life together. The first is to let you know that our new members class wound up being rescheduled for September, and we will work with everyone who wants to join the church in September to find a date that will work for the most people at the same time. I'd also like to note that our TNTs have a brunch coming up next Sunday, so if you'd like to be a part of that, just reach out to Annie Lecluse and let her know you'd like to come so that she can include you in that brunch next Sunday following the 11 o'clock service of worship. With all of these things noted, let us continue to worship God with our confession of sin. The proof of God's amazing love is this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Christ rose for us, Christ reigns in power for us, Christ even prays for us. With such assurance, we need not fear confession, but simply draw to our Maker in candor, first together and then in silence. Holy God, you call us to be with one another as you are with us. Your word of grace is extended to us and community. As we confess together and receive pardon together, but too often, we don't see ourselves that way, as called to a deep and abiding life together. Too often we splinter off with those of like mind. We associate with those of similar means. We spend too much time with people who look like us and not enough with those who will help us to see life in a different way. Forgive us, we pray. Remind us that you call us to bear with one another and as we do so, may we be blessed with the abundance of community for which you have made us through the Jesus Christ, our Lord. The saying is true and worthy of full acceptance that Christ died to save sinners, 
brothers and sisters, believe the promise of the gospel. Our first scripture reading is from 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1 through 14. This is the story of the healing of Naaman. Listen for the word of God. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man and in high favor with his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man, though a mighty warrior, suffered from leprosy. Now the Arameans, on one of their raids, had taken a young girl captive from the land of Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord just what the girl from the land of Israel has said. And the king of Aram said, Go then, and we will send along a letter to the king of Israel. He went, taking with him ten talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of garments. He brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you my servant Naaman, that you may cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to give death of life, that this man sends word to me to cure a man of leprosy? Just look and see how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. But then Elisha, the man of God heard, from, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes. He sent a message to the king. Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me, that he may learn that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and halted at the entrance of Elijah's house. Elijah sent a messenger to, messenger to him, saying, Go wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became angry, went away, saying, I thought that, that for me he would surely come out and stand and call on the name of the Lord, his God, and would wave his hand over the spot and cure the leprosy. Are not Abana and Farhar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? He turned and went away in rage. But his servants approached and said to him, Father, if the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, would you not have done it? How much more when all he said to you was, wash and be clean. So he went down and immersed himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. His flesh was restored like the flesh of a young boy, and he was clean. The gospel reading today comes from Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 11, and then 16 through 20. This continues from what we heard last week, of Jesus speaking to people about following him. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. He said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Go on your way. I am sending you out like the lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter first, say, Peace to this house. And if a person of peace is there, your peace will remain on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating, drinking, whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, 
Eat what is set before you. Cure the sick who are there and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. For whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into the street and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off in protest against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near. Continue in verse 16. Whoever listens to you listens to me, and whoever rejects you rejects me, and whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, in your name, even the demons submit to us. He said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. Indeed, I will... I have given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and over the power of the enemy, and nothing will hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice at this, that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Our epistle lesson today is taken from Paul's letter to the Galatians. We read in the sixth chapter, beginning at the first verse and continuing through the sixteenth. Continue to listen for the word of God to us this day. My friends, if anyone is detected in a transgression, you who have received the Spirit should restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Take care that you yourselves are not tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if those who are nothing think they are something, they deceive themselves. All must test their own work, then that work, rather than the neighbor's work, will become a cause for pride. For all must carry their own loads. Those who are taught the word must share in all good things with their teacher. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for you reap whatever you sow. If you sow your own flesh, you will reap corruption from the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So let us not grow weary in doing what is right, for we will reap at harvest time if we do not give up. So then, whenever we have an opportunity, let us work for the good of all, and especially for the family of faith. See what large letters I make when I am writing in my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh that try to compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Even the circumcised do not themselves obey the law, but they want you to be circumcised so that they may boast about your flesh. May I never boast of anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is anything, but a new creation is everything. As for those who will follow this rule, peace be upon them, and mercy, and upon the Israel this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Almighty, eternal God, grant now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts may be acceptable, even pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. As someone with a severe food allergy to mushrooms, I am not sure that I could have done the job of the 70, those rank-and-file disciples whom Jesus sent out ahead of him to go and tell of the marvelous things he had done. Mind you, as a modern disciple, you might think that my issue would be the bit where he tells them not to carry a wallet or shoes or even a change of clothes, because I have to be honest, the days when I was willing to wash my socks in a bathroom sink and put them back on the next morning, slightly damp still, ended when I got done backpacking around Europe after college. And continuing with that theme of honesty, there have been a few times through the years when I would have been perfectly happy to knock the dust off my feet in someone's general direction. But it's the food that gets me, because there are definitely some things that I should not eat. And funnily enough, it was probably the food that got to the 70 also. It seems a funny thing to spell out, doesn't it? I mean, he's being so specific about what not to carry and to whom not to speak. It seems an odd thing to add and eat what you're served particularly given that he's allegedly sending them out as lambs among the wolves. It's generally just good manners to eat what's put in front of you, especially if you were a guest in someone's home. But food is a big deal in the Bible because it's a big deal to Jesus' Jewish community. And there were some things they just didn't eat. The late Edward Schweitzer notes, the missionaries are therefore not to worry about food that is cultically unclean, which was forbidden to the Jews. Luke repeats the instructions in verse 8, possibly because he was already thinking of non-Jewish cities. This became of incalculable importance later because it made possible the visible unity of the Christian community at meals and at the Lord's Supper. Ecclesiastical traditions, customs, interpretations, racial segregation, which made this unity impossible, have no place in the body of Jesus' disciples. We cannot be authentically with one another if we are holding something of ourselves back. We cannot authentically bear with one another if we secretly, or not so secretly, harbor a feeling that our ways are better, or our opinions are better, or our traditions are better, because from each of these, it's just a hop, skip, and a jump to believing that we are better. To be with one another, to bear with one another, requires a paring back of the self for the good of the relationship. Now, I will grant you this Independence Day weekend that this seemingly goes against our national mythology. 
We often believe ourselves to be a nation of rugged individuals. That's not a new idea. It's not my idea. We prize personal liberties, except when we don't. We know our institutions work best when we work together. Yet, despite how much we lament the splintering of nuclear communities, we must ask, what are we willing to do about it? New York Times columnist Frank Bruni uses about this trend in an op-ed entitled Individualism in Overdrive. Written a few years ago, Bruni takes apart a self-help guru who shared tips for how to make sure that your checked bag arrived at your destination, saying, get this, pack an unloaded starter pistol in it so that the, the Transportation Security Administration will flag that piece of luggage, thus diminishing or altogether eliminating the possibility of its loss. It's extra work and fretting for them, but hey, you get peace of mind. Isn't that what counts? That's not a tip you should follow, by the way. Bruni concludes, selfishness run amok is a national disease. Too many people behave as if they live in a civic vacuum, no matter the broader implications of their individual behavior. Now, I can't imagine one of us, or frankly, nearly anybody, would engage in such toxic individualism. But it is emblematic of a mindset, and a demonic one at that. But to the sin of toxic individualism, God gives us the redemptive notion of a deep, beloved community as the antidote. God gives us one another to be with one another and to bear with one another. And how often have you heard me or another pastor say to you, as a community of faith, we bear one another's burdens and celebrate one another's joys. It's foundational to who we are. But I wonder sometimes how often that sense of genuine community that this is, entails is derailed by the notion that we always have to be doing something. What if we could dispense with the oughts and the shoulds and simply be together? If there is one lesson the pandemic could teach us, it's how precious it is just to be together. Now, lest you think I'm being particularly hard on American culture, I should add that I don't think that the danger of the rugged individual turning into toxic individualism is unique to us. Fighting a sense of scarcity, believing we must assert ourselves and our values seems to be a story as old as faith itself. Indeed, when Paul writes to the Galatians, he is writing to a community that he fears is in grave danger of getting things very wrong. There seem to be a lot of opinions that Paul has to take on in Galatians, and to be fair, he does. But in his penultimate move in this epistle, he returns to what it is to be a good community with one another admonishing the Galatians to bear one another's burdens. So important 
is this to Paul, that he puts the charge to bear one another's burdens in the context of addressing someone who has done something wrong. About this text, Charlie Cowser wrote, a person, presumably a Christian, does something wrong. Those who walk by the Spirit are to restore him gently, all the while taking heed that they themselves not be tempted. The consideration of the example is broken by putting the action into the general imperative. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. The verse recalls another place where Paul spoke of the whole law being fulfilled by the command to love one's neighbors. The intrusion of the imperative at this point interprets the act of restoration as an occasion of service by which the law of love is obeyed. Thus Paul is saying, look, take seriously your life in the Spirit. If you let the Spirit direct your behaviors, you will be led to restore brothers and sisters in Christ who have fallen away. Then, as you share their burdens, you really will be fulfilling the law, the law of Christ. Now, with Paul, I sometimes find that it is useful to say what Paul is not saying as much as what he is. So Paul is not saying that right and wrong thought don't matter. He is certainly not knocking right thought. That's really what the whole book of Galatians is about. Paul is very clear that what we believe matters, and it matters deeply. But he is saying that being with one another, bearing with one another, gets us closer to fulfilling the law of Christ than any right doctrinal belief ever will. It's as if he's saying, keep the main thing the main thing. And if I could catapult us from Galatia to today, to this season of American life, I would affirm once more that God's gift of deep and abiding community is the antidote to toxic individualism. And if I could make a rather gross oversimplification, we need to get over our need to be right all the time. When I couple, counsel couples who are getting ready to be married, one of the points that I sometimes make, and I suspect a few of you may resonate with this, is that occasionally you have to choose between being right and being married. Now that is true beyond marriage. It is true of friendship. Sometimes we have to choose between being right and being a friend. As tempting as it is to consider the notion of knocking the dust off of our shoes in the general direction of some other folks, maybe that bit isn't the good news. And I'd go so far as to say that all of this is true of our national identity as well. Now, 
I'm enough of a student of American history that I know that it is a fruitless effort to spend much time at all longing for simpler, better times. They just really weren't that much simpler, and for large swaths of the population, they surely weren't much better. As Yogi Berra said, nostalgia ain't what it used to be. So I was struck recently to revisit an article that I cut out of the Week magazine a while back entitled, Why Friends is Still So Popular. Do you remember Friends, that sitcom where Monica, Chandler, Joey, Phoebe, Ross, and Rachel were all living in improbably large Manhattan apartments and sharing one another's lives? Well, apparently, it still draws a weekly audience of 16 million people, not counting streaming services. So the author of this article queried several young adults about the appeal of the show. The central pleasure of watching Friends, that feeling of being cosseted in a familiar place, free of worries, surrounded by friends, has never been quite so longed for as it is now. Paulina McGowan was born in 1994, the year that Friends debuted. Watching it now, she says, it would be awesome to be alive back then when everything didn't seem so intense. It just seemed really fun. Now, having been alive, been in my 20s for most of the run of Friends, I can assure anyone who wasn't around then that it really wasn't that much easier. But that doesn't matter. Time moves in only one direction. There's no returning to an earlier time, whether it's simpler and better or whether it isn't. We live in the now, and God has given us now what God has always given us, the opportunity to bear with one another and to be with one another as Christ is with us. I'm struck from a line from Elton Trueblood's classic, The Company of the Committed. He wrote, we all understand when we give our minds carefully to the question that to be an effective Christian, it is not enough to be an individual believer. Inadequate as the fellowship of the church may be, in many generations, including our own, there is not the slightest chance of Christian vitality without it. Apart from the poor and all too human fellowship called the church, we should not have had even the New Testament. People are often brave and good alone, but they are never really effective unless they share in some kind of group reality. Am I making a plug for the church? Yeah, perhaps so. I happen to believe in organized religion, at least most days. God gave us this gift, after all. Really, though, I'm making a plug for good community and for Christians to be salt and leaven in our communities. It's a plug to care more about togetherness in our communities than being right all the time. Don't get me wrong. Getting the teachings of faith right is important. And getting our political system right is important. And getting our neighborhoods right is important. All of these things are important. But maybe they aren't 
the most important thing. The good news is, and can you think of a time when good news was ever needed more? Well, God has given it to us, just as God has given us each other to bear with one another. And notice this, when the 70 returned, they were rejoicing. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.
together with the ancient baptismal creed of the church. What do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. Third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Remembering that all that we have and all that we are is a gift from God, let us return to God the gifts of what we have taken from God's abundance and the prayers of our hearts with our morning offering, remembering that God loves a cheerful giver. You are invited to come up during the offertory or after the service and are always welcome to give electronically online.
eternal God, from the abundance of your creation, we have all that we need. Indeed, we have more. And so from that abundance, we return this portion to you, asking that you would bless it and use it, and that we might see your kingdom at work among us through it. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Let us continue to unite our hearts and minds in prayer as we offer to God our intercessions and petitions. Let us pray. Eternal God, you have richly blessed us in ways that we cannot even fathom, and yet you would give us even more. You would do exceedingly abundantly more than we can ever ask or imagine. So give us the hope of imagination to believe in the promise of beloved community that you have laid before us. Give us the hope of imagination that we may do more and be more the disciples you call us to be simply by being with one another and bearing with one another. In so doing, help us to know what it is that we can do and what we can pray for so that through our ministrations, your kingdom might come forward on this earth. We know that you have a vision for the earth and that vision is a peaceable kingdom. Lead us to that shalom, we pray. Lead our leaders to find ways of peace and justice. Give us the hope of imagination to embrace our future. When we are dissatisfied, guide us so that we may be useful to you. Guide this church as we follow the path you have laid before us. May we ever be bringers of gospel grace to a hurting world. May we perceive of ourselves the way you see us. And in so doing, may we then have the vision to work toward that reality. Enliven us, O God, and embolden us. Shake us loose from any incorrect allegiances and allow us to render our whole selves to you in order that we may be made whole. We pray this as your people seeking the way of your Son, who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
keep the main thing the main thing. It is not most important that we are right all the time. It is most important that we embrace the gift of good community that God has given us. The gift, which by the way, has always defined God's people. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance on you and those you love and give you peace both this day and forevermore. Amen. Amen.